0: Right there. A quick message before we start. Don't forget that you can save money this winter when you book your ski hire at IntersupportRent.com and use the code SKIPODCAST. You'll get a guaranteed discount for all ski hire in France, Austria and Switzerland. And to make it even simpler, you don't even need to use that code. Just take the link in the show notes and your basket will automatically be reduced. So... If you want to support the Ski Podcast, remember to book your ski hire with sport and to use the code SkiPodcast or take the link in the show notes. It'll save you money and help us too. Right, let's get on with the show. Welcome to episode 165 of the Ski Podcast and thanks for joining us, listener. Today we're going to be discussing skiing in destinations as diverse as Arell, Medesimo, and Uzbekistan, finding out about the new sports centre in Valtarenz, uh, plus we have snow reports from across Europe and some words from a world champion. My name is Ian Martin. I'd like to introduce our guest today. On the podcast for the first time is Sophie Ibbotson. Now, technically, Sophie was uh on the podcast in the ski podcast live in Birmingham at the National Snow Show Uh, but I asked her to come on today to tell us a little bit more about what she did then her knowledge of Uzbekistan. Hi Sophie how are you?
1: I'm very well thank you and very nice to be here on the ski podcast
0: excellent well it's it's great to have you on and because and we were all on the same panel at the national snow show in birmingham i decided to invite back regular guest mike richards who was also with us on the panel in birmingham and was last on the show in episode 90 telling us about skiing in turkey hi mike how are you good morning ian thanks for having me back It is a pleasure, as always. Now, regular listeners will know I like to start off by asking my guests when they were last on snow. I'm going to start with you, Mike, because I happen to know that you've uh, just been away. Uh, Tell us where you were.
2: Yeah, I mean, ordinarily, last week I would have been skiing in the Brecon Beacons in that cold spell. But uh, I was away in uh, Turkey at Erges Ski Resort in uh, central Anatolia as a guest of Go Turkey, Ski Turkish and the resort itself. Um, I joined Johnny Richards from Four Line Ski Magazine and Sierra Schaefer from Ski Magazine in the US on a familiarization trip of uh, the Cappadocia region, which has got these fabulous fairy chimneys. Kayseri is a fantastic city. And then this amazing ski resort, Ereges.
0: We did, uh, just to uh, remind listeners, episode 90, we talked about skiing in Turkey. Maybe we'll have to talk about this again. But uh, remind me, were you a, a model this time? For full I was magazine. <laughs> well. Last time I went
2: as photographer slash model for a few shots, and my camera broke on the first day. But this time, my camera stayed stayed uh, proud. So, thankfully, Sierra was uh, the model. She's far better looking than I am on skis. <laughs> so we got our action shots, so we got a lot of our cultural shots. We visited the bazaars and uh, lots of cultural areas, and we had one day that looked like the Brecon Beacons, where it was. Uh, You couldn't see two feet in front of your face and it was blowing sideways. And then the the next two days, there were beautiful sunshine um, and this massive mountain that goes up to 3,900 metres.
0: Excellent. Well, that sounds brilliant. Sophie, can I ask you, when were you last uh, on snow?
1: I was last on snow in March, actually, which seems ridiculous because it's nine months ago now. But I was very lucky to go to the Four Valleys with Swiss tourism, and to see some of the quieter bits of the four valleys around sort of Vesana and Nenda are Very beautiful, very underdeveloped in many ways. We had very good snow even in March and uh, some good apro ski as well.
0: That sounds that sounds really good. I I will be going to Verbier and the and the four valleys in March. It will be my first trip there for quite uh, some time. But I'm delighted to say that last week I was actually skiing in the three valleys. And listeners may know that Ski Podcast is sponsored by Les Trois Valleys. It's the largest ski area in the world. Uh, there's a book called Ski Europe by a chap called Charles Liotcha. He describes uh, the three valleys as uh, as thus on paper the area is overwhelming. In person, it's mind expanding. Now, I've just been there. I worked four seasons in the Three Valleys, never tired of it. Went to a bunch of uh, different resorts on this little trip. Uh, Thinking about the snow, I would say that it's pretty light, you know, the covering. It's not as good as it would typically be for this time of year. You know, it was fine uh, enough uh, on the piece. You know, I was in Valterens and The uh, Skiing was pretty high, above 2,000 plus metres. I did ski down to Le Weir uh, And that was fine, skiing down to Le Weir, But, uh, you know, more snow would definitely be welcome. I believe there's some coming in. Let's add in a couple of snow reports from some of our regular contributors. We've got uh, Andy Butterworth uh, from Columa Travel in St. Anton. Robin Shah in Verbier. And Alex Almond in Laders Out. Let's uh, hear what they have to say.
3: Hi, everyone. Hi, Ian. It's Andy from Kaluma Ski over in St. Anton. Very excited to be giving my first St. Anton Snow Report update to the award-winning ski podcast. Congratulations, Ian. Um, on to December. Um, just before the lifts opened in early December, there was some incredible snowfalls, as seems to happen every season. Um, so before the lift opened, everybody around here who has a pair of touring skis was up, was up touring. Um, going up into the high alpine, which was um, fantastic snow. Probably very early it was like a twenty to thirty centimeter um, base was was set at the end of November, start of December, which was fantastic. Um, a fantastic um, look ahead to the to, to what December might bring. But December has been a very mixed month, really snow wise. Um, we've had a bit of everything. We've had um, heavy snowfalls. We've had light snow showers. We've had a bit of rain. We've had warm winds. Um, and we've had really freezing, bitterly cold temperatures, which when you factor all that in together um, is actually a great start to the season. It means the base has been set. Um, it means the snow is ready for the the, the the mountains ready for the next big snowfalls to come. Um, and it does certainly set the set the tone for the the season ahead um, in terms of the last week or the, or, the, or the few days ahead. Um, it, this week has kind of typified what the whole of December has brought. The week started off with um, some really good snowfall. Um, then came some warm winds. We actually had a little bit of rain yesterday lower down in the village and on, and, and on the lower slopes. Um, today is beautiful blue skies. Um, and the next couple of days is forecast for about 30 to 40 centimetres of snow up on the top of the mountain, which could bring a bit of rain lower down um, in the resort at 1,300 metres, but certainly up high, um, probably from around about 2,000 metres upwards, Um, we're looking at 30 to 40 centimetres snow over Christmas Eve uh, and into Christmas Day, which should be fantastic. And if the forecast rings true, uh, Christmas Day should be sunshining, blue skies and a lovely, lovely white Christmas. So that's quite exciting. Um, But as a resort, as a whole, it's been pretty quiet, um, hasn't been that busy through December, which is usually quite normal. Um, which means lots of the locals and the tourists that have been coming here have definitely been enjoying good snow, hard pack, but great on the piece. But moving into Christmas, I'm sure the resort is going to fill up in the next couple of days. Um, everyone coming for Christmas and certainly for the New Year festivities. Um, and let's hope that uh, January, February, March and April bring uh, lots of people, lots of snow and, uh, and lots of good times. So we very much hope to see you on the slopes in the new year. Thanks very much and uh, look forward to the next report. Cheers. Bye. Hi, Ian, and greetings from Verbier.
4: We have had a cracking couple of weeks. Uh, conditions have been superb with regular top ups of fresh snow, some bracingly cold temperatures and some really gorgeous sunny weekends. Squeaky corduroy lovers will be pleased to know that the pistes are now all open and have been in great condition from Montfort all the way down into town. The new snowmaking seems to have created a bit more of a solid base in previous seasons, so we're not seeing those usual early season thin sections with rock showing through. Lots of people come to Verbier for the off-piste, and the last couple of weekends have been a treat, with cracking conditions for mid-December and some spectacular days of light, fluffy powder. The itineraries aren't yet officially open, but both Col des Mines and Vallon d'Arby have been in great condition. with Some really amazing deep powder fields, and I reckon they're looking good to open pretty soon. The Montgellet and Tortan itineraries still need more of a base. So I think we're looking at Christmas or New Year's week until they'll be open. Brousson, the best spot for tree skiing, opened this weekend with its new six-man fast chair. And I saw a couple of nice reports from over there. And Four has been open since last weekend with its new viewing platform, which gives a perfect view into the famous backside of Peace Group. And there were some tracks in there, so it looks like the first brave souls had ventured in this weekend. So if you're a mogul lover, you can head up to Montfort. Unfortunately, the next few days aren't looking quite so good, um, with the dreaded fern wind blowing in warm air from the south And as a result, the snowfall predicted this week and weekend is likely to fall as rain below 2000 metres. Good for the base up high, but not ideal for those skiing in the next few days. Fortunately, it looks more promising for the end of the month with temperatures coming back down. So hopefully we'll get a nice, cold, fresh layer on top that will put everyone in good spirits for Verbier's infamous New Year's Eve celebrations. Okay, so that's it from me. So happy holidays and tell your listeners to keep up the snow dances, please. Take care.
1: Hi, this is Alex Arman from Tip Top Ski Coaching in Le Desalp with an update of the snow conditions here in resort. We've had a snowfall of about 20 centimetres up at altitude last night and it continues to snow in the ski domain uh, as we speak. It is raining in resort, uh, but the snow level is just above the resort level. Conditions on the piste are good, the piste are being well looked after, uh, corduroy snow, firm. And the conditions off-piste are currently a little bit dangerous, four out of five on the avalanche risk. So it's recommended to stay on the piste for today. Now, a bit of
0: news that crossed my path uh, this week. I was very interested to see that Leger in the Port de Soleil ski area has introduced a smoking ban. They're smoking across the ski area, apart from a few uh, areas where you are allowed to smoke. Uh, I believe this is a first for uh, any ski resort. There's been a lot of chat about it on uh, social um mike got any views on that at all um it's a tough one i think policing it is
2: going to be the hardest aspect of it especially on the lift sort of system um because obviously you know outside of the cable cars and uh, the gondolas and those kinds of things where they are possibly manned um it's very much uh, left to your own devices in Japan. They've got a similar sort of setup where they have in hotels and restaurants, airports, large areas where people congregate, they have dedicated smoking rooms where you know the door opens and then this massive cloud of smoke piles <laughs> out of it. And the rest of the areas are smoke free. So I think segregating that experience, um, is not a not a bad thing, especially if you come from a country like ours, where we've had non smoking in public areas for a very long time,
1: certainly across the European Union, we're seeing more and more places which are going smoke free I think obviously there's the the health component um there's the fact that a lot of people just don't like being surrounded by smoke, certainly indoors and to some extent outdoors and then there's the environmental impact as well, and I can see particularly if you're in a ski resort. You may not notice it when the snow's there, but come springtime and the snow melts, there's going to be an awful lot of cigarette butts contaminating what is otherwise a very beautiful place.
0: Well, that's exactly right. And in their uh, in their press release and their communications, they said that more than 3,000 cigarette butts are collected annually in the in the Léger, Léger ski area. And... There are over 150 substances that are toxic to the environment, which include mercury, lead, arsenic. It doesn't make it sound too good if you're still a smoker. Butane, ammonia, etc. But it pollutes water and it pollutes the environment as well. So that's certainly part of their uh, motivation. Interesting. We'll we'll certainly follow that one, but it's created a lot of a discussion uh, on social media. Now, I was out in Aurel last week, and you mentioned the uh, Four Valleys, uh, Sophie. Uh, everyone, I think, probably knows the Three Valleys, largest ski area in the world, but not a lot of people necessarily know Aurel, which is the technically the fourth valley of the Three Valleys. I wanted to go there um, principally because it's very easy to travel there by train, and uh, regular listeners will know that's how I like to travel. And I went out there uh, by train, so let's have a quick listen to that. So, a new journey for me today... I've been to the Alps by train many times, but today I'm on the TGV to Milan. Uh, and I'm going to be getting off, uh, just before we go through uh, the, the Alps themselves, through the uh, tunnel, uh, at Modan, where I'm going to uh, Arel, the uh, lesser-known fourth valley of the three valleys. Uh, just getting on at uh, Garde Lille in Paris right now had a quite a long break uh, but it's a very fast train, well fast train down there just four hours, I think four hours and one minute uh, to get to Arel itself uh, so let's see how it goes. So four hours later bang on time we arrived in Modane in the Maurienne uh, valley. Uh, you can access lots of ski resorts uh, from here. Uh, Valois, Valcigny, I'm going to go to Arel, the fourth valley from the uh, Three Valleys. All those people are staying on the train. They're on their way to uh, Turin and uh, Milan. Still another three more hours to Milan from here. Uh, Ten minutes later, just left the station up here in Arel, just in the camping, uh, just outside Arel. Had a lift thanks to the very kind Vanessa. I'm going to go and check out the accommodation. Uh, the village itself is really just made up of a bunch of different hamlets. It's almost uh, a bit grand to call it a village. It's very kind of quiet place. It's not going to be suitable for everyone. If you want to have the big ski uh, thing, this is not the right place to uh, go for you. Uh, you know, accommodation is quiet. I mean, there is a nice three-star set of uh, residences with, uh, you know, wellness area up there. But realistically, there's only one uh, restaurant in town incredibly cheap i bought a pizza uh, and a salad for 11 euros which you're not going to find anywhere else in the three Valleys, or probably many other places in france Uh, but the main reason it's coming into into vogue let's say is uh, they have um, a gondola, which has existed since 1996, connecting up into Valtarennes and into the Three Valley ski area. But that initial gondola from Aurel at 900 metres to the midpoint Plan Boucher at 2350 has been upgraded and is now much faster. And then in addition to that, at the start of last season, they opened a new gondola that goes from Plan Boucher up to Seam Caron, which is 3,200 metres. That just takes five minutes. It's one of the fastest, uh, ski lifts uh, in France at seven meters uh, per second, so it means that you can effectively be onto the uh, VT side within 20 minutes. And I have to say that when I tested it, it didn't take 20 minutes; it took longer than that. That might be because they were running the lift uh, slower, and that's part of what uh, a lot of ski resorts are doing this year. You know, in periods of low demand, they're just running the lifts a little bit slower. But it was very quick to get there, and actually, the Aurel ski area itself was um was pretty good. I enjoyed. Uh, skiing around there there was actually a blue run that was closed off i did what not meant to do (laughs) tipped under the rope and uh, effectively it turned into a really nice kind of uh, off-piste run and you know interesting seeing on social media some people are talking about you know if they're going on holiday to cestriere for example the train i took from Madan. After Madan, it goes uh, through the Alps and comes out on the Italian side. People were on that train going to uh, Milan and Turin. And I saw on social media, people talk about being on holiday in Sestriere and taking a day trip, driving through, parking in the free parking in Arel, and going for a ski in the Three Valleys for a day. Um, Mike, ever been to Arel? I haven't.
2: Falteron is the highest I've been to, but being over that backside, but it does look intriguing. It's, it's a little bit like the uh, the Vosgenais, I guess, into to a sort of uh, link, which, as you said, will appeal to some people and not appeal to others.
0: I'm glad I've managed to find somewhere that you haven't been to, Mike. <laughs> I know you've been to most ski resorts. Sophie, I'm guessing you've been to the Three Valleys before. Uh, ever uh, dropped into the Fourth Valley?
1: I've uh you're spot on. I've been in the Three Valleys, but not in the Fourth Valley. So that's one to add maybe this winter or maybe in the future.
0: Yeah, I mean, the actual bowl uh, in the Arel ski area above Plan Boucher is pretty good. There's some good skiing there as well. And I think it's obviously very quiet. There aren't that many skiers over there. I mean, I was there the week before Christmas, so it's not a, a peak season. But, uh, you know, it's definitely a, a, a low cost option, uh, a way of getting into the Three Valleys. Um, more central is Val Thorens. Uh, people probably know that it's the highest ski resort in Europe at 2,300 meters. I went over to Val from Arel. You can actually do it as a pedestrian, taking those lifts that I mentioned to Scene de Carrel and then coming down from Scene de Carrel on the gondola on the other side. So I got some really strange looks. I have been some quite heavy snow uh, the night before. And I had my bag. I didn't have skis. So I am dragging my bag you know, along behind me. I had to kind of break a bit of uh, snow at the top of uh, Seam Carroll and then go down. But you can basically do it as a piaton. And I went over to Valterens, and the main reason I wanted to go to uh, Valterens was to look at the new sports centre they've got there called Laborde, which actually officially opened yesterday. We're currently recording on Thursday, the 22nd of December. It uh, officially opened uh, yesterday, but I was there a little bit before that. And uh, I spoke to the commercial director of uh, Valterens about it. I'm here with uh, Eric Blanco, who is a commercial manager of uh, Valterens, and we've just been looking around the new Laborde the new sports centre here in Val And it is very, very impressive. Thank you so much for showing me around, uh, Eric. You're welcome. Now, you mentioned to me just now that uh, this is new. And I said, oh, you know, several other resorts have got, you know, good sports centres. You said to me that actually the one that this replaced was one of the first ever built in
5: ski resorts back in 1980. In 1980, yeah, Val was the first resort to get a sports center, yeah. What a tennis was uh, before a uh, tennis sports center.
0: Right, okay. And then other resorts came to look at this, say so the original one, to kind of inspire them and learn how they could go about doing their own, creating their own sports
5: centers. Yes, more or less. Uh, everyone came to see the sports center, was uh, we, we got because we make many activities inside. And uh, so uh, all the other resorts uh, start to, to build. Sports centre in, the, in their resort that is good for everyone.
0: Yeah, well, Vauterens in, in, in its position as it often wins awards such as the world's best ski resort or uh, France's best ski resort, it makes sense that you would have one of the best sports centres. And now, this new place, uh, Le Borde, really, uh, as far as I can see, does uh, excel. I think there's 17,000 metres squared in total. It's huge. There's a lot going on here. I mean, we started off. All of your ski instructors uh, from Val Threns are currently upstairs using the auditorium. Um, uh, uh, how many people could you actually get in there?
5: For 450 people we can... Uh, 450.
0: So even though there are several hundred uh, instructors, it was nowhere near full. And so for people who want to, you know, organise business trips or meetings, etc., uh, conferences you know this would be the type of uh, venue uh, in january you've got an event uh, here i think it's one of the first ones that's going to go ahead which is uh, ski force pro what what will they be doing
5: ski force pro is for all the all the shop who came here to try the ski of the next season And to buy this key and to propose for the guests. uh, So during four days, they're here to discuss with the brand and uh, to to test and so on and so on. And uh, they take all the the sports centre to to make the show, expedition and test.
0: Yeah, and so that's a a business event. that You've got little breakout rooms. People can have meetings in there, do networking events, etc. Slightly different event. Um, earlier this month, I think, you had Varsity here, so Oxford and Cambridge, all of the students for their uh, uh, annual event. Um, but where we are standing now in the uh, big sports area, you told me that there were 3,000 students in here, all partying at the same time, right?
5: Yeah, last week we got Varsity. In this part, we call Arena, and there were 3,000 to make concert, to make bongo bingo, to make special party. <laughs> And it was a little bit crazy, but it was very nice.
0: (laughs) I bet it was a bit crazy. I've been on a few of those student trips myself. And uh, yeah, it can get a little lively sometimes. But the point is that you can fit everyone in here, you know, and a really large number of uh, uh, people. And then down at the far end over there, we've got the swimming pool. Uh, and that itself, I haven't seen, maybe I'll get to see it tomorrow or something like that, but you've got a, a wellness zone in there
5: as well with different facilities. Of course, there we got a very nice swimming pool where you can swim, where you can play, where you can be with, with your friends or family. And uh, just behind, we got a, a complete wellness spot with a jacuzzi, with a sauna, with a steam bath, with a special shower, with a special bath also for massage and things like this.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're ticking off all the different places. Like I said, it's 17,000 metres. There's a lot in here. Um, another area we went to see was a soft play area. You know, for younger kids. for uh, I think it's for the under 12s. Yeah. And uh, you told me that's the largest soft play area in the uh, French Alps. I can tell you, my kids are a little old now. They would absolutely love that place when they were younger. We used to go to different places in Brighton. And there's all sorts of different things in there. You've got like little go-karts and a little football area and slides and stuff. And then there's also a section which is just for younger children.
5: Yeah, we've got uh, all these spots for children under 12 and we got a this- a special part for children under three. So they are, they are cool and they can do what they want.
0: Yeah, and I had a look at the prices and it, to me, it strikes me that the prices are all quite reasonable. I'll put a link to it in the uh, in the show notes. But, you know, compared to some of the other aqua centres and sports centres I've seen in the Alps, yeah, it definitely looks quite good. So I think we've seen everything now. We're about to go up to the roof and one of the reasons this building is called Le Board is it's shaped kind of like a snowboard, isn't it? Completely,
5: <laughs> completely, you understand everything. Yeah, we are going to see now the rooftop outside, We uh, also can accept three thousand guys, and where we can make some show, some concerts, some uh, what you can imagine, team building, or what you want. Because we got also, as you see, uh, we you saw, a big uh, business party part of our center. So the rooftop uh, is, is great because it is. We are now still the only place, the only place, sorry, in the Alps. Where you got uh, a rooftop, you can priv- privatize for three thousand get in the centre of the resort. Completely. Yeah, cool.
0: Right. Well, let's go and have a look at that and uh, see how it is. Thanks very much, Eric. That's great. So that's really that was really interesting. Uh, you know, I think Laborde is going to be something that other resorts are going to uh, look at. I think it will probably attract quite a lot of big corporate events. It wouldn't surprise me at all to see large corporations taking their their international, global get together uh, there. Completely uh, elsewhere, a very different type of experience, but there is a link, I think, Sophie, with Uzbekistan because in the new uh, or the the resort that's being developed there, and I'm probably going to say this wrong, is it called Amirsoy?
1: Yeah, that's correct. Amisoy.
0: I was reading a couple of articles about it prior to the podcast today. And I think the general manager there used to work in Courchevel, So you have a Three Valleys link.
1: He did indeed. From from Courchevel to Uzbekistan.
0: Well, let's talk about skiing in Uzbekistan. When we were on the stage at the National Snow Show, you know, you told us a lot about it. I think maybe a good place to start for the, the general listener would be just to describe in geographical terms where it is.
1: So Uzbekistan is the heart of the Silk Road, right in the middle of Central Asia. It's to the north of Afghanistan, to the south of Kazakhstan. And people are always really surprised when I say that there's skiing in Uzbekistan, because they have this idea of the Silk Road cities, of the caravans of camels going through the desert. And that really doesn't fit with the idea of a modern multi-million dollar ski resort but there we are we have uh, an extreme continental climate in uzbekistan so it's very cold very dry in the winter and that means that we have some very high quality powder in the chanchan mountains in the east of the country and how
0: do you get there tashkent is the capital right i seem to remember it from um race around the world
1: yes and in fact it, it popped up i think in joanna lumley's silk road adventure as well so, in the wintertime, there are two direct flights a week from London to Tashkent. They go on a Friday night and a Tuesday night. So, actually, if you leave London on Friday night, you can be on the ski resort late Saturday morning. It takes about six and a half hours. It's usually a Dreamliner on the route. And the airline is Uzbekistan Airways, which is the state carrier of Uzbekistan.
0: Okay. So, you've arrived in Tashkent. I mentioned uh, is that That is the main ski resort. It's a pretty new development, right?
1: So Amasoy opened in winter 2019-2020. As we all know, that was the absolute worst time to start any kind of tourism project. But thankfully, it's been thriving. Uh, There's been a real domestic interest as well as international interest. It's not the first ski resort in Uzbekistan. There are several others in the country which date back to the Soviet period, including Chimgan and Beldasoy, which are very close to Amasoy. And the plan is that Uzbekistan will have its own Free Valley style ski area. So a lot of investment is being spent not only in building Amasoi, but also there's plans to upgrade the two older resorts and then link the three of them in with a fourth resort called Nenai, which is nearby. And then we will have, I think, probably certainly the biggest ski area in Asia and one of the biggest in the world.
0: Wow, okay. I didn't actually know that. I'm wondering how all of this is getting funded. It must be costing uh, millions, right?
1: It, yeah, I mean, these are huge, huge projects. So, Amisoy alone is, they've spent over $100 million already. And I read somewhere that I think $280 million have been allocated for one of the other ski uh, resorts elsewhere. Um, most of it's private money. So, Amisoy came predominantly from Uzbek investors, a lot of whom made their money in the oil and gas sector and then are looking to do something different. But there's also European interest. So with some of the forthcoming uh, resort developments, the French, both the French government and French private sector are putting in money because they recognise that they have got the expertise. France has also got a lot of the equipment manufacturers in terms of uh, lift manufacturers and so on and so forth. And so if they are the lead investors in these kind of projects, they get to put in french infrastructure as well
0: right i mean that that sounds uh, fascinating let's get to the to the uh, the crux of it then what what's the altitude and what what kind of what's the snow like there
1: the snow i would say in fact this is not me saying this is uh, thomas toyensen who is the the operations manager the chat we mentioned from Courchevel. he reckons that it's got some of the best powder in the world probably second only to japan and the reason for this is because it is so, so dry, um, the powder falls and it remains very, very light and fluffy. The altitude actually isn't that high. So Amasoi itself is about uh, 2,500 metres, give or take. Um, but because of the climate that they have there, it means that the the quality of the powder is is very good and it stays very good. It doesn't go slushy.
0: So, obviously, we're talking about investment in lifts, but it's more than just lifts. Uh, you know, some of the articles that I uh, read, I'm guessing there was probably a press trip out there, you know, in uh, 2019 or something like that when it first uh, opened. Yes, they so I, seem... I
1: organised the press trip in February 2020, so we had about a dozen UK journalists out there. You're right.
0: Well, some of my favourite uh, uh, journalists uh, were writing uh, about that there, talking about ski touring and um, uh, going out on a uh, uh, heli, skiing as well um i take it those are all options that are available out there and presumably they cost significantly less than they do in europe
1: that's one of the appeal not only is the quality of the snow and the novelty factor but it's actually a very very cheap place to ski and particularly compared to the resorts in the alps so i was looking at the cost for this this year um, a lift pass for the day at Amisoy is about 22 dollars um if you want to have a an hour's private tuition if you're sort of a beginner intermediate skier you're looking about $25 an hour so it's a lot lot cheaper than it is in Europe and the same with the heli skiing and with the other activities Um, from memory I think a half day heli skiing is about $400 uh, with multiple drops so I know a lot of the European resorts have banned heli skiing now but those who do still permit it it's a lot more expensive than that.
0: Yeah, no, that's for sure as well. And I think the appeal of destinations such as Uzbekistan and so many of the places that Mike has been to and talked to us about, like Turkey, et cetera, is that it's not just the skiing. It's not just, you know, the ability that you can go heli uh, skiing or whatever it might be. It's that exposure to a completely different culture uh, as well. And, I, and that's a big part, I would imagine, of any trip to Uzbekistan.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's two aspects of that. One thing that we noticed when we did the press trip in 2020 was a lot of the other people that we met at the ski resort were not skiers. And in fact, at Amisoy, they're actually selling pedestrian tickets for the lifts as well, because there are so many families from other parts of Uzbekistan who are coming really to see the snow and to see the mountains and the excitement of the resort. A lot of them have got no intention of skiing, but they really want to appreciate the mountains and the infrastructure. So they are growing a ski industry from the ground up, starting with people who've never, who've never sort of seen and appreciated the snow in the mountains. The other aspect, if if you're a tourist coming and you want a, a few days skiing, is that you can combine it with the Silk Road cities. So Uzbekistan's got five UNESCO World Heritage Sites, four of which are, are Silk Road cities, um, Samarkand, Bukhara, Kiva and Chakrasaps. So you can go and combine these extraordinary historic monuments with all of the Jeweled tiles of the mosque and madrasas—things that people associate with the sort of stereotypical Silk Road—and then combine that with the the ski resorts as well.
0: Yeah, that's what I remember from the greatest race. I think it was Samarkand as one of the cities that they uh, had to go to. And yeah, as you say, extraordinarily uh, beautiful. Yeah, and to, and to me that's always you know a, a, a really interesting part of it, Mike. I, I'm sure I'm, I think I'm right in saying you haven't been to Uzbekistan, but knowing your penchant for exploring unusual places to ski around the world, I imagine it's on your uh, list now. Have you got any questions for Sophie?
2: Yeah, I mean it's it's very similar to a lot of the places and a lot of the things I go to those kinds of areas because you get that wonderful combination of almost having two holidays in one, where you've got great skiing, great and. Underappreciated ski and infrastructure, I presume. I presume the lifts are fairly new, Sophie.
1: Yes, everything at Amisoy is, is brand new because it opened for the 2019-2020 season. And they've been adding more lifts since then. So I think last winter they had an extra one or two lifts and there's more planned to come.
2: Yeah, and I think that's the one one of the big things that's misinterpreted, I think, by Western skiers who are used to Central Europe is that they think they're going to go down there and ski on run-down old lifts. Uh, that'll be fairly dangerous, and it's it's totally the opposite. Everywhere I've been, there have been massive inputs of money to to really improve the infrastructure, and, and as you say, started from scratch in some places.
1: It's the supporting infrastructure as well, because actually five years ago there was absolutely nothing at Amisoy, not even a proper road. So they have actually built the roads to get there, they've built the hotels, the restaurants, the chalet villages, the spa, all of the other activities. So you've got everything which is brand new in one place.
0: And it is really interesting to have this investment in a country like Uzbekistan, because uh, I think it's Laurent Vanat is a a chap who produces a report about the state of uh, skiing across the world, looks at all the numbers. And pretty much every area is in decline in Europe, in North America, in terms of the total number of people who are skiing. And the area where there's growth is Asia. And I imagine they probably have their eye on the Chinese market or something like that as well.
1: It makes sense because if you look at where Uzbekistan is geographically, within three hours flying time, you can go to Moscow in the north, uh, Middle East, particularly Dubai and Abu Dhabi. There are direct flights three hours to the west and then going down to the southeast, down to Delhi. So you've got a huge area of potential skiers growing middle class, a lot more money and they can get to Uzbekistan much faster and more cheaply than they can get to Europe.
0: Yeah, super interesting. Well, I'm going to put a whole bunch of links into the show notes so people can find out more, including a couple of links to some of the articles I noticed. I saw one was by Felix Milnes. Uh, Regular listeners will know him because uh, he was a guy who went... uh, Uh, parachuting above the Eiger. I can't remember what episode we covered that in, but I'll put that in the show notes as well. So lucky man gets to travel to lots of exciting places. But so is Mike Richards. And uh, the reason I wanted to have you back on the show, I know there's there's so many places on your skiing CV that you've uh, tried. But I thought it'd be interesting to actually tackle somewhere you know, possibly you might call it a bit more accessible. When I was a kid, I my mum took my brother and I on holiday to a small resort in Italy called Madissimo and uh, wanted to have a little chat about that today because you've been there, haven't you, Mike? I've been twice, actually, and um, I read a
2: one-page piece by Will Robson in Four Line Skiing Magazine in 2016 and it, it ticked my boxes, which are great terrain, a great snow record, virtually no crowds, great value for money a small village that you can walk around that's got everything on tap. You don't need a car when you're there um, and great food. And, and having read that article that that fueled my imagination and then gone online to have a look, it certainly it, it ticked all those boxes for me.
0: I mean, that is really interesting because I tried to do a bit of research this morning. I just thought, right, I'll have a look around and see what people have written about uh, Medicino before. And <laughs> there, is, there is very, very little out there. Maybe think, oh, that's a good destination for me to pitch to uh, to some of the uh, magazines. But uh, evidently, Fulheimer have covered it. You know, when I went there, I was trying to work it out. It was probably... I would guess, you know, 11 or 12 years old, something like that. So the only thing I can remember is I think they were like these big hairpin bends, a bit like outdoors to get into the resort. Very much so. And, and tunnels, you go through a, a series of tunnels. Uh, since you went there,
2: they've now put um, a sky train in uh, further down the road in Campo Dolcino. So you don't have to drive. What they're trying to do is not get the day traffic that they get from, between Milan and and Lake Como to go all the way up to the resort. The the resort then is based around the people who are going to be staying in the accommodations up in the village of Medesimo. further down those switchbacks. So before you can get to the switchbacks, they've got a massive car park area and then a Skytrain that takes you uh, from that base into the mountain. And then you can connect to the whole lift system.
0: And by a sky train, we would go a big cable car or gondola. Here, is that what that is? No, it's one
2: of those ones that's, that's built into the mountain. You know um, that you get that's, on and you sit on those. It looks like a train, but it's on a uh, funicular. I guess that's what they call it,
0: yeah. <laughs> right, um, cool. Okay, and that's really interesting. Now you mentioned a couple of places like Milan and Como. I looked at it on the map, and it's in this kind of little um, bit of Italy that juts into Switzerland. So actually, you're kind of nearer to St. Moritz and Lax, than you are to Milan or uh, or Turin, or but so where would you fly into for that? Uh, either Milan-Lenate uh, or milan Malpensa are the closest
2: to it. And then it's anything, depending on the snow conditions, about 90 minutes to, to two hours drive
0: uh, from there. You, you mentioned the um, Medesimo itself, quite a small sort of place. I don't think there's a huge amount of kilometres of piste. Knowing you, I imagine you kind of looked at that off piece uh, terrain quite a bit as well. How did you explore it?
2: Absolutely. I mean, the second visit I went, I took my uh, my cousin's uh, daughter uh, to, to learn to ski. So they've got a fantastic uh, learn to ski area on the lower part of the mountain that doesn't have that age old problem where everybody shoots through to go back to the lift system. So it's a dedicated beginner's area at the bottom. So she picked it up really, really quickly. And then we were into the system. Um, The numbers absolutely don't look anything spectacular, which is pretty similar for most family resorts around the world. It's got 37 kilometres of slopes, but between the slopes, the world is your oyster. And especially they've got this one cable car that goes over the backside of the mountain. So when you come up the the switchbacks, you see the mountain in front of you, but there's a whole mountain behind what you see. And that backside mountain has got three or four pistes, but everything in between is accessible off-piste for intermediates and it's it's a, an intermediates paradise to transition from the peace skiing to the off piece skiing
0: right I mean that's really interesting because sometimes like for example with my kids who are 15 I call them intermediates now and they've got to the uh, stage now where we're starting to tackle the off piece a little bit but you don't want to go straight into those you know tough black itineraries and things like that so that sounds like the right way to do it Absolutely,
2: and and it's it's a beautiful area. You know, it's very jagged. You've got you know fantastic scenery. You've got wonderful uh, mountain restaurants dotted all around the resort. There's a little bit of a travel kind of experience. Um, not obviously like the Three Valleys or the Four Valleys in Switzerland, but you do send get a sense of you've travelled from one end to the other and front to back.
0: And you mentioned, uh, you know, value and prices. You know, my experience of Italy in recent years is that it is so much uh, less expensive than France, Switzerland and even Austria as well.
2: Absolutely. I mean, the, the lift tickets, I just looked at the, the the most recent prices, they're 49 for uh, an adult and 41 for a youth. But the multiple break then goes down to about 40 euros per day for an adult and about thirty-one or thirty-two euros a day for for a youth or child, so very reasonable, not super cheap like Eastern Europe, but they're not the silly prices that you get in the bigger resorts in France um, and Switzerland.
0: And of course, you know that's a lift ticket, but uh, you mentioned all the uh, restaurants spread around the mountain. Not only do you get Italian cuisine, which is normally regarded as being the uh, the best in Europe, but it comes in at a brilliant price as well.
2: Definitely. When we were having, um, you know, a pasta uh, starter dish or, you know, the, the pasta sort of course and then having a main meal, a bottle of wine between us, a couple of glasses of water, uh, you know, sparkling water and um, coffee or tea at the end of the meal. And you're looking at 40 euros for the two of us.
0: Yeah, that sounds great. Although I'm guessing that wasn't with your uh, with your niece or your daughter no, no, no. that was but, with her father <laughs> the the bottle of wine i mean that is one of the great things uh, uh, you know about that like i say with Arel, you know it's just so nice to go out and eat somewhere where it's not super expensive uh, for a change and i think with italy you know if you're not in let's say Cormier, and even then you know it is a pretty good value then uh, you know just get excellent value over there in uh, italy and i will be going to italy in uh, in february so i'll be reporting on not on italy myself uh, as
2: and then on the opposite end of the scale, they've got a fantastic one-star Michelin restaurant right in the village, which was a tremendous experience. Obviously, you pay for that. It was around about 120, 130 euros for the 10-course meal. So you can have you know, the, the family pizza joint where you're paying maybe 10 euros for a, a pizza that be between the two of you right through to the full scale because they are catering to that wealthy Milanese uh, clientele that do come up for the weekends and the holidays. We've got a lot of holiday homes up
5: there.
0: Right. Okay. Interesting. Well, and maybe it's time for me to squeeze in another uh, trip back to Medesimo again. Uh, I won't say exactly how many years later, but many, many years uh, uh, later. Thanks so much for that, Mike. That's great. Let's move on to a little update about Team GB. Um, Some pretty good start to the season, certainly for Charlotte Banks. She got a double podium back to back Chavinia World Cups. So that is snowboard uh, cross. Uh, Andrew Musgrave, who uh, regular long term listeners might recall, I interviewed in the podcast with Andrew Young. He is cross country skier. He actually got his second World Cup podium. Uh, he took a third in the ten kilometre uh, uh, in. Norway i think it's called stolen, but uh, no idea about the pronunciation but well done Andrew yeah that is brilliant it's 5 years after his uh, first uh, world cup podium so that's excellent also uh, Michaela Gurkin Schofield uh, is mogul skier uh, they picked up their uh, sixth in Sweden which is their best ever result as well and Kirsty Muir uh, was 5th in the Copper Mountain Ski Big Air uh, World Cup. So, you know, really good start to the season there with a couple of wins and uh, and podiums. But particularly, Andrew, well done to you. I hope you're uh, listening. I know he used to listen to podcasts. Hopefully he still does. Um, talking of World Cup and uh, racing, uh, etc., I was lucky enough to catch up with the uh, most successful French ski racer of all time, Alexis Pantaro, uh, last week. I Regular listeners will probably know I uh, released a separate episode with that interview, but let's have a, a listen to a little bit of it just now. So the races themselves, for your races, will be in Courcheval. The uh, finish area is going to be uh, in Le Prat. I'm guessing you have skied on that slope down into Courcheval Le Pra
6: many times. Have you have you raced down there before? many times that's not correct, yeah, because most of the time I was not going there. Uh that's a pretty new slope, which will completely be new for me. Uh of course this slope was existing, but not exactly like it will be for the world championship. And I never trained there, I never raced there. Uh the only race I made was last winter at the end of the season, which was a test event for all the ski racers. So um, I don't have any advantage, uh, even it's really special to hear it, but that's the uh, really the case here. I never skied there, only free skiing a few times or a couple of times in my whole life. Right, okay, because I think I'm right
0: in saying that you are very local. I think you were born in, in Mutia and did most of your skiing when you were younger in Courcheval because your, your family are from uh, the region, is that right? Right, that's right. Yeah, and do they own a hotel maybe in Courchevel?
6: Yes, that's right. Uh, so since I'm born, my grandfather he he built an hotel in Courchevel. He he bought, he bought two. Uh, no, he built so two. Sorry, and uh, and then my father is running then one hotel, and my tent was running the second hotel. So I grew up in Courchevel in the family hotel my whole life. And now I'm more on the surface and away from Courcheval, but still, it's still my own time.
0: You learned to ski on the slopes of uh, Courchevel. Would you have been skiing down, I don't know, Pralong, like a lot of people do when they're taking their first turns?
6: Yeah, Pralong was the first first slope uh, where I skied. Uh, it's a really easy slope where you can learn properly. And that's where I start, yeah. Right. And I heard, or I think I read uh, somewhere that when
0: you were younger you were very talented at uh, football as well and maybe had to choose between between football and skiing if things had gone the other way might you be in les bleus uh, on their way to winning another world cup
6: yeah les bleus is maybe um, maybe a lot to say but uh, yes i was i had to choose between soccer and, and and skiing and that was for me something really special um I think I felt always better on the individual sport because you're the only, the onlyest athlete who is failing or su- successing when, when you are competing. And that's, I think more coming to my character and so Alexis will be competing in the uh, world
0: championships the Alpine Ski World Championships uh, which are going to be held in Les Trois-Valais in Courcheval and Mirabel the actual dates for that are 6th to the 19th of February yeah uh, listen if you listen closely to my interview with Alexis see I've got the dates wrong on that but that's when it is uh, you'll be able to watch it on your TV I was speaking to Chemi Alcott yesterday he said that they're going to be covering it as well so it'll be on Ski Sunday Uh, Now, quick bit on kits. We don't have Al with us today, uh, but I got my first chance to use my uh, Atomic Hawks Prime uh, ski touring uh, boots in Valtarenz. And I had a couple of really good days of uh, ski touring. Um, One kind of bigger day, quite steep, did uh, 1,200 metres of uh, vertical. And um, I went to Intersport uh, in Valtarenz, who gave me a pair of Atomic Backland uh, skis. Uh, Mike, are you familiar with them at all? Yes, I don't have that uh,
2: particular ski, but I know people. a lot of people when I've been in Japan, they've had that because it's very, very durable, super light um, and got a really nice profile to cope with all conditions.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think they're, they're different widths. I had slalom, uh, the more slalom in 86, but super light. Really enjoyed going uh, uphill uh, with them, but the downhills are great as well. And I mentioned to you that, Uh, that kind of closed-off piece that I skied down. I think the actual piece is called Larry, which is a blue run down to a Plan Boucher on the Aurel side. That was all closed. But I went down there uh, on those, and those skis really gave me a lot of... Balance. I felt really comfortable on them. I was able to cut through a bit of a crust with lighter powder underneath. Uh, it was just a joy. And, but, you know, skiing is a joy, right? <laughs> I did try the carve, but I'm not going to talk about that uh, now. I'm going to wait until Al gets back from um, trying it himself uh, in January and then we'll discuss that then. Okay, we're moving to the close now. A bit of feedback. Uh, Don Winter, he's actually from Protect Our Winters. I know him well, but he was talking about the sustainability episode that I did a while ago and said, thanks for making that great episode. Uh, so it's a pleasure. Uh, Don Miranda Walsh uh, contacted me via YouTube. Um, she was talking about the Alexis Pantaro. She said, thanks for posting this interview, in; It's a great listen. Uh, Paul Bond via YouTube on the same one, the Alexis Pantaro thing. It's a great listen. Uh, and Christian sent me an email saying, thanks for being such a great source of ski info. So that's uh, a pleasure. And uh, Rob also sent me an email. I'm enjoying all your new podcasts. That's very kind of you, Rob. I do enjoy all feedback. You'll find us uh, at the ski podcast on social media, or you can send me an email, the ski podcast at gmail.com. Uh, Uh, if you enjoy the show there's a couple of things you can do to help you can give us a review it helps other people find us Uh, and you can always buy me a coffee if you want to at buymeacoffee.com forward slash the ski podcast Uh, i would always appreciate that and uh, it'll help me get through the hours of editing and producing i have to get these uh, out live Uh, particularly uh, this one just before christmas now you can follow me at skipedia and the podcast at the ski podcast but for now i would like to thank uh, le for sponsoring the show and i'd like to thank my guest uh today sophie thank you for joining us
1: thank you very much for having me it's really great to have a chat again
0: hey i really enjoyed uh, finding out more about uzbekistan it's definitely on my list as i'm sure it's now added to many listeners lists as well and and mike Uh, I don't know how many times you've been on the uh, podcast now. It's got to be at least half a dozen, if not more. You know, listeners can go back and listen to Mike talk about all sorts of destinations. I think probably my favourite was during lockdown when you were skiing in Wales. How many days did you get skiing in Wales that year? Uh, 23 for me and 40 for my ski partner, Chris. <laughs> 23 days uh, skiing on Pennyfan. Is that how it's pronounced? Yeah, Penavan,
2: yeah. Pennyvan
0: Beacons. Right. Uh, you know, I just think that I, I really, really enjoyed that one. Uh, so, listen, if you'd like to hear something a, a bit different, just uh, you know, Google that one or have a look uh, in, our, in our back catalogue. But for now, uh, Mike and Sophie, thank you very much. And finally, listen, thank you for joining us. And until next time, goodbye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ski Podcast. Don't forget that if you want to support the podcast, then remember to book your ski hire with Intersport and use the code Podcast, or simply take the link in the show notes. It'll save you money and help us too. Thanks again and have a great winter.